Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Entrepreneur Architect Podcast, Episode 23. Welcome to this episode of the Entrepreneur Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. Money is critical to the success of any architecture firm, but how and why you find that money may determine whether you live or die as a small business. Today on the Entrepreneur Architect Podcast, we're talking about building a business without debt. And if you already find yourself in the hole, like me, I'll share four steps to find your way back to debt zero. So stay with me. But before we get into today's topic, I want to take care of some housekeeping here at Entrepreneur Architect and give you a heads up on what's going on around here. I want to give you a reminder about the Entrepreneur Architect Business Trend Survey. Uh, it runs until the end of April, or the end of March, beginning of April. April 4th will be the last day. Uh, that you can contribute to the uh, Entrepreneur Architect Business Trend Survey. It's simple, straightforward questionnaire, mostly yes and no uh, questions. Uh, it'll only take you 10 minutes to complete. And as I mentioned last week on the episode, my intent here is to build the most comprehensive resource for architects uh, and architecture business success on the planet. And so I'm asking for your assistance to help make that happen. The response from this survey will allow us to focus 
our energy on the topics and resources you find most interesting. You know, what, what will have the greatest impact on your career in, our, in architecture? Entrepreneur Architect will become the influential force in our profession, and you, as a member of the Entrepreneur Architect community, will benefit directly from our collect, collective efforts. And by contributing your response to this survey, you'll, have, uh, you'll help us improve our profession and guide Entrepreneur Architect to be the best it can be. And we'll use this survey as a plan for the future of the community, and we'll pursue the resources that you uh, find most beneficial and abandon the ones that you don't think are any good. So um, it's worth doing. And in addition to that, I'm giving away four of my favorite business books. Last week, I announced that Brian Crichton of CMBA Architects from Sioux City, Iowa, was the lucky recipient of the first giveaway drawing. Brian's name was randomly drawn from over 300 participants who had contributed their thoughts to the survey at that time. Uh, the book I gave away was my favorite business book of all time, uh, is The E-Myth Revisited, Why Most Businesses, Small Businesses Fail uh, and What to Do About It. Um, I got three more other books that I'm going to be giving away as well. I'm going to give one away each week. Um, right up until the end on on uh, February uh, on April 4th will be the last one. The next one's going to be Friday, this Friday, so a couple days from the recording of this podcast. Um, I'll give out the next one. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it'll be another great book, another one of my favorites. So if you're interested, and I'd really appreciate it if you would, uh, go to entrearchitect.com slash survey and take the survey. And this week on the blog, I also wrote about the architecture business plan competition, which was announced by the Charette Venture Group. Uh, I've been invited to participate as a member of the jury on that competition, and I'm going to judge the submissions and, and help select the winner. The winner is going to travel to Chicago courtesy of Charette Venture Group and celebrate at an event scheduled for the day before the AIA convention uh, opens their doors in Chicago in June. So, um, and the best part is in addition to that, the winner is going to receive $10,000. Um, so visit, entre uh, I'm sorry, um, visit architectbusinessplancompetition.com for more details and information on how to enter that. Uh, and it's not often that architects are given an opportunity like this to have a competition that's built just for us, uh, that's not a design competition. So don't miss out. Uh, go to architectbusinessplancompetition.com and check that out. And last week on the podcast, I spoke with Dane DeSaris, Jim Partridge, and Steve Tucker of the Edward Rouse Architects uh, based in Foxborough, Massachusetts. It was a great episode, I think. Uh, we ch chatted about finding your first job in architecture, and we got into the details. We got into a step-by-step -step list of what students should be doing to make themselves uh, attractive to per you know prospective architect employers. So if you're seeking an internship, uh, and even if you're not, I, there was lots of information in that episode for uh, anyone looking for a job. Uh, don't miss that episode at uh, entrearchitect.com slash episode 22. For the first four years, Five Cat Studio could be found at a basement studio in our little cottage in the woods, Chappaqua, New York. The space was just large enough for one Dell PC workstation, a couple of bookshelves, a desk chair, a telephone, 
five cats, and myself. Each morning I'd eat breakfast, kiss Amory goodbye, and commute down 12 steps to Five Cat Studio World Headquarters. We were 29 years old, and life was pretty good. Anne-Marie's studio was on another, in another room on the main level of the house, and that's one of the secrets that we've learned to be married for 18 years coming this July. Separate responsibilities, separate offices. From that small studio, we built our reputation for highly detailed residential architecture and our personal touch customer service. We had few, few expenses and our revenues were growing healthier each year. In 2001, our first son was born and other than feeding schedules and naps, not much changed. Then as James grew and life with a child became reality, we realized that we were going to need to make a change. We were two young professionals and worked hard to overcome the perception that we lacked the experience to provide services equal to those of our well-rooted competitors. The illusion of an established architecture firm gave way to our reality each time a calling prospect heard the crying baby in the background. We learned to accommodate our new partner and established routines that allowed us to keep our keep the firm and our family as separate as they could be within the 900 square feet of our house. With several small commercial projects complete and our first major residential project well underway, the business was beginning to grow. It was time to take this firm the next level. We started looking for an office outside the house. Our plan was to find a small space around a thousand square feet, enough to start hiring a staff and establish ourselves in the local business community. We looked in our village as well as other adjacent towns. We wanted to stay close to home and Amory and I knew Pleasantville very well. We lived in an apartment in Pleasantville's old village for about a year before we moved to our home in Chappaqua. There we found a perfect space in an old brick office building which once housed the police department and the village hall. It met all our requirements, a unique building close to home, a thousand square feet and located in a bustling business district central to all our potential clients. During the negotiations, the landlord offered us the adjacent office for a rent that we could not refuse. It was well above our budget. But we were optimistic about our future and we knew that we could quickly fill the much larger space. We took the deal and we got to work building out our new Five Cat Studio. We designed the office to have a welcoming reception area with a built-in custom desk, a light-filled conference room, a private office, two toilet rooms, a, sink, a storage room, a data closet, and a thousand square feet loft-like open office with 11-foot ceilings. It was awesome. We pulled from our personal savings to add additional custom moldings in the public spaces and we fit the toilet rooms with upgraded tile floors. We had big plans and we knew that we would recover the investment very quickly as clients would soon be knocking on our front door. I moved into the private corner office and worked there alone for almost three years. We tried hiring and had a few underqualified entry-level employees come and go. The reception area never once received a guest, and we rarely used the conference room for more than an occasional playgroup meeting for James and his infant friends. We kept the open studio lights off and the HVAC turned down in order to keep our utility bills at a minimum. Each month the bills would be delivered and the rent would be due. Luckily, business was booming 
and we kept everyone paid and happy without much of a problem. As business grew, so did our staff, and eventually the studio was filled with an office manager and three architectural project managers. I had educated myself on the business fundamentals, and in 2008, we were well on our way to our first seven-figure year. But then, the world's financial markets began to collapse, and our economy crumbled. Our rent increased each year, our business expenses grew, and we were responsible for a pretty heavy payroll every two weeks. So we obtained a line of credit from a local bank to help, quote, manage our cash flow problem, unquote. And each month, our credit card balances continued to grow. When Amory and I first saw the storm heading our way, we were optimistic. We expected it to be a temporary downturn, and we carried on with business as usual. We dipped into the line of credit on the months where our receivables were low, and the credit card balances continued to grow. We were transparent with our staff about the tough times we were experiencing. We promised that if they worked with us, we would work with them. We called it survival mode. We would not reduce staff if they were willing to reduce their pay. Surely this was a temporary situation and our clients would soon be back. We'd re, re, we would reestablish salaries, re, refund the line of credit, and pay down the credit card as soon as things got better. Well, it's almost six years later now and things didn't get better. Our office manager and two of our project managers chose to move on. We did survive, and today our boards are full of work again. We have restructured our project management system to allow Anne-Marie and John, our most loyal associate, and I to work as a team on every project. We've moved out of the big expensive office space and have committed ourselves to a new virtual studio business structure. And I've written about that and the way we're doing that, uh, and I'll include a link to that on the show notes. Our P&L statements are finally showing signs of life, and we have officially entered recovery mode. Survival comes with a price, though. The line of credit is exhausted. The credit card was maxed out, and our original investment spent on the office upgrades is still pending reimbursement. Bottom line, today, we hold some major debt. Today, when asked about my Best advice to emerging professionals and architects considering the launch of a new firm? I say, build a debt zero business. Debt makes you a prisoner to your lenders. It increases your stress and it increases the chances of a fatal failure in your business. Debt magnifies your mistakes. When Anne-Marie and I realized that the fancy new reception area and the conference room was unnecessary, the money we borrowed from our personal savings made that mistake much worse than if we waited and used retained earnings from the business to pay for those upgrades. Odds are that we probably would have realized that those spaces were unnecessary and we could have saved that money for more important things, like paying our future employees. Our nation's banks have worked hard to convince us that we cannot live without debt. Our American culture is based on investing by borrowing. We are told that we can't run our businesses without a credit card and a line of credit. It's just not true. Dave Ramsey, in his best-selling book, Entree Leadership, shares four myths about debt. Myth number one, you can't start or expand a business without debt. That is simply not true. If we plan, save, and wait until we have the money to move to the next level, 
we spend our money more wisely and make better decisions. It may take longer to, where, to get to where we want to go, but when we get there, we'll be free from the burdens of paying back the bank. Myth number two, you need a line of credit to cover cash flow problems. This was one of my biggest business mistakes of all time. Within one year of obtaining a line of credit, we had the account maxed out. Business never improved from the convenience of withdrawing borrowed money. If I had retained earnings when business was booming, I would have had the reserves to cover those slow periods. In residential architecture, the cycle of business is easily predicted. Our phones stop ringing in August and January every year. We should have the money saved to cover those slow times, so a line of credit would be unnecessary. Myth number three. A credit card is a simple way to finance your business. Dave Ramsey says you can't earn your way out of stupidity. I love that. I learned that lesson very well during the recession. Every time I used the credit cards and I couldn't pay back the balance, I convinced myself that next month would be better than this past month. It wasn't, and my credit cards quickly reached its limit. Myth number four. Large purchases require debt. Most large purchases are not items urgently needed. Pay cash by saving for that item each month. Open a separate account for that item and pay into the account as if it were an expense. If the item is urgently needed and required, then rent it and continue to save until you can pay cash for the item. If you can't save the required amount each month, then you can't afford the loan payments either. A long-term goal of Anne Marie's and mine is to develop our own residential projects. We could use our little cottage in the woods as collateral and borrow the required funds tomorrow, but we're not. Instead, we're going to save and start small. Maybe we'll purchase a small house, add some five cat flavor and flip it for a profit. Then take the money earned and repeat the process with larger projects until we've reached the point where we can build the custom homes that we want to offer to the world. We'll get there. I'm certain of it. It'll just take longer than I first expected back when I was ready to risk my home and my freedom for quicker returns. So how can we build a debt zero business? Here are four steps to make it happen. Number four, counting backwards, destroy your credit cards. I finally decided to cut up my business credit card about six months ago. Instead, I ordered a business debit card which allows me to pay for items with money that's deducted directly from my business checking account with money that I actually have. Not only has this stopped increasing my credit card balances, but it forced me to be much more focused on how I spend each month. Credit card money just doesn't feel as real as money in your bank. Number three, drop your personal income to a minimum required living wage. And that's if the economy hasn't already done that for you. Your primary focus is to eliminate debt, and that requires sacrifice and determination. Dave Ramsey says in another best-selling book, The Total Money Makeover, that we should live today like no one else, so tomorrow we can live like no one else. Number two, pay a percentage of your net profit to pay off debt each month. Determine a specific amount maybe 10% of your net profit 
that you will use to pay off your debt. Pay it each month as if it were a business expense. And it's not optional. It gets paid every month. Number one, save a percentage of your net profit to a retained earnings account. The goal of your retained earnings account is to save six months of operating costs. Retained earnings are used for emergencies, business development, and for investing in opportunities. A debt zero business is a strong business. It gives you the freedom to grow and take advantage of opportunities immediately when they become available. Debt zero allows you to be generous. With no debt, you'll have more cash and you can be more generous to your employees and pay them higher salaries. You can be more generous to your clients and make those annoying problems which occur on every construction project, you can make them simply go away. This will improve your customer satisfaction, reinforce relationships, and lead to more referrals. You can also be more generous to your community and, commu and contribute to local events and fundraisers. Generous businesses are rewarded with a reputation of support and caring for our communities, which leads to a positive word of mouth and ultimately more business. So there you have it, four steps to debt zero. Number four, destroy your credit cards. Number three, drop your personal income to a minimum required living wage. Number two, pay a percentage of your net profit to pay off debt each month. And number one, save a percentage of your net profit to a retained earnings account. This is not going to be easy and it's going to take sacrifice and dedication and focus. And so, I know this firsthand because Amory and I have dedicated ourselves to becoming a debt zero business and we're well on our way. Our credit card is paid off. We cut up our credit card a few months ago and our line of credit is very slowly but surely being paid off. And uh, my goal is by the end of the year, we will be a debt zero business um, and we are on target for that goal. And so I encourage you to build a debt zero business and I'd love to know what your thoughts are on debt and borrowing money for your business. Do you think it's necessary for a growing business? And, or are you a debt zero business? So please share your thoughts by leaving a comment on the blog post for this episode at entrearchitect.com slash episode 23. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and found it worth your time to listen. I'd love it if you just do me a quick favor. Please visit iTunes and leave a review for the show. And I've made it simple. I've set up a direct link. Go to entrearchitect.com slash iTunes, and that link will take you right to my iTunes page. Just sign in and let me know what you think. I'd love your honest critique of the show. Those reviews and star ratings help other entrepreneur architects find the Entrepreneur Architect podcast. And don't forget to complete the Entrepreneur Architect Business Trend Survey at entrearchitect.com slash survey. Your contribution for that survey really, really matters. And for those who've already completed the survey, I thank you so, so much. So until next week, my name is Mark R. LePage, and I am an Entrepreneur Architect. Thanks for listening.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.